Or eateries place the most profitable items like steak and lobster highest on the menu. The inexpensive chicken dish is listed far below. Psychology professor Paul Sylvia says another example is the disappearing dollar sign. Prices given in numbers only. If you can make it feel like you're not losing money, people will be much more impulsive and much more carefree. Another trick, homespun names like grandma's cookies to justify a higher price. Stephen Kaufman, CBS News. The oldest man in the world has died. Mazazo Nanaka, who lived in Japan, was an incredible 113 years old. He died at his home in northern Japan, which was a hot springs inn. Nanaka was certified as the world's oldest man when he was 112 years and 259 days. Wendy Gillette, CBS News. This is a special announcement for all Americans who owe back taxes to the IRS or state. Pay attention. There's a special toll-free hotline set up especially for you. This hotline will give you free information on how you can legally reduce or eliminate your tax debt. Call the taxpayer hotline today at 800-459-1725. Grab a pen or put the number in your cell phone, 800-459-1725. You'll speak with qualified professionals who tell you how to stop the collection calls, IRS letters, bank levies, and wage garnishments, and they'll deal directly with the IRS on your behalf so you don't have to. Even if you haven't filed returns or you are already in a payment plan, you can still get relief. New IRS settlement policies have opened the doors for a fresh start. But hurry, this won't last forever and your tax problem will only get worse if you do nothing or try to handle it yourself. It makes a big difference in who you call. So call the taxpayer hotline today for free information. 800-459-1725. 800-459-1725. The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Religion, science, myths and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We are investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensional with Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey to Undiscovered Spiritual Realities. It's that special time, folks, when we meditate on the higher spiritual realities. So sit up straight. Still your mind and breathe deeply and peacefully through your nose. In the next hour, if everything goes according to plan, we're talking about Steiner, Swedenborg, and A Course in Miracles, and the impersonal life. Also, if time permits, we'll discuss something of the Christian Apocrypha. It's oh so holy. And tonight, uh, between 6.30 and 10.30 p.m. Central Time, you can see the Super Blood Wolf Moon Lunar Eclipse. The last one for the next 18 years. So Google that if you want to make the most of this event. Cool, Adam, it's great to see you again. Great to see you, Robert. Thanks yeah. for having me back. Yeah, thank you for being back. So we were talking earlier, you've been reading The Impersonal Life this week. I have. It just pulled me in. I, I couldn't stop reading it. I read the whole thing. That's awesome. Yeah. We're going to be talking about that later because um, you've got a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share on that. Um, the first thing that I want to talk about is the Course in Miracles, and a lot of our listeners are probably very familiar with the Course in Miracles. It's been out, I don't know, at least like, what, 30 years or something like that? I believe so. Um, and it is a book that was inspired uh, 
by the spirit and came to a couple psychologists. They may even have been psychotherapists. And so it was kind of an amazing thing. What had happened was the manager of these two psychotherapists, the boss, came and said, we need to find a way where we can all work together better. And mm. so all of a sudden, one of these two individuals uh, became inspired to start writing. And the writings turned out to be basically inspired by the Christ. At least that's who they've attributed that to. Right. And... Uh, and so the book is very powerful. It's a very thick book. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you'll see it's a pretty hefty book. It contains multiple parts. There's a text, which is basically the scripture of the movement. And then there's a couple components, one called the workbook for students and one called the manual for teachers. And these used to be separate volumes. In this book, they're all collected together. Oh, cool. Great. One of the uh, aspects uh, of the teaching is something called the holy instant the holy instant what do you think of when you hear the holy instant i think of the now um which is something that of course is embraced in so many different spiritual practices is the idea of living right now not dwelling in the past um in the the um wounds and the baggage that we carry from there and not thinking too much about the future or being worried about that but just experiencing the now, the mm. holy now. So mm. that that's what I think of. I don't know much about this book, but no, that's that's basically what it is. Yeah, cool. It's the uh, it's the elimination of our attentions from anything that isn't basically the still presence of what God is. Yeah, which is you know the ambience that this whole production of life is taking place on. Cool. Um, I love it. I'm gonna read just the beginning quote uh, from this because it's. It's pretty awesome. Can you imagine what it means to have no cares, no worries, no anxieties, but merely to be perfectly calm and quiet all the time? Yet that is what time is for, to learn just that and nothing more. God's teacher cannot be satisfied with his teaching until it constitutes all your learning. He has not fulfilled his teaching function until you have become a consistent learner that you learn only of him. Oh, that you have become such a consistent learner that you learn only of him. When this happened, you will no longer need a teacher or time in which to learn. So mm. the writing actually speaks to the individual as one having the teacher already in him. Yeah. The higher voice of the higher intellect, uh, which is usually referred to as the father consciousness in the individual, it speaks to, to that and it helps you to discern the voices in your head. Because, you know, we have the notion of me, myself, and I. Well, who is me, and who is myself, and who's I? <laughs> all right. You know, and yeah. in, in one sense, they are all the same being, but in the other sense, they're different. They right. serve different roles, and they come from different places, and they have different, you know, temperaments, depending on, you know, your <laughs> person's development. Absolutely. And so, I really... uh love reading everything that this book talks about, but that particularly is the gateway to the kingdom of heaven. Awesome. And this show is really focused on, you know, where is that threshold between this world and the next? Yeah. And when it comes down to it, spiritually speaking, it's in a psychological sphere of disconnection between the physical materiality of this world 
and moving into the land of causes where things come from in their more perfect state. Absolutely. Cool. I hear so much similarity between that and what I experienced in the impersonal life already, too. I, I can't wait to dive into uh, The Course in Miracles. You're not going to have to wait long, Adam. We're going to get there. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I just, the, the, I just love the similarities that are there already. Yeah. I, I'm excited to hear your takeaways this week, actually. Um, the one thing that I want to share with regards to the Holy Instant is, um, actually, I'm not going to share it right now. I'm going to withhold that from y'all. Um, but let's go down here to this idea that Rudolf Steiner shares with us. And it's kind of a, a mantra or it's, it's a way of thinking, something that if we really meditate on, we will start to see the truth of it in a spiritual way. And it, it's this, in my thinking, I am united with the stream of cosmic existence. Hmm. And he says, if we really like meditate on that idea, we're going to see that in our thinking world, if we can become conscious in that world of thought, we will see that there is a stream of cosmic existence that we inhabit. And I don't know what I was listening to this week, and it kind of addressed that. And it, it was coming from the angle that a lot of people feel like unless the impressions come from an outside source, then they're invalid. They're mm. essentially then hallucinations or you know, whims or, you know, notions of the mind as opposed to objective fact right. that comes, informs from without. And the idea of the teaching is that we create a reality with our thoughts, whether or not you like that your thoughts are real. Right. And that goes right down to an even more profound point that in the spiritual world, after we've passed we actually externalize our interior world. So the, what you're thinking now becomes exteriorized. It becomes manifested as an environment, as landscape, and as you know, spiritual beings and entities and all of this sort of thing. Wow. And then our current world of memories interiorizes. So now we're in this world of thought, and then our memories of earth life have now become a faint memory just as right now our spiritual existence between lives is a faint memory for us. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There's a, along those lines, since we're dealing with the subject of spiritual realities today and every day, um, there is a idea that Steiner talks about uh, that relates to the nature of our thoughts with respect to what they are and um, how they reapproach us. So every thought that we have that has any kind of feeling attached to it is actually a vivified thought that becomes an independent spiritual being. And it becomes something like a, a pet, like a thought pet. And so what'll happen is you'll have this thought, you know, of for something for good or bad or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you'll have these feelings and it creates this being who now will reapproach the soul of the person from time to time in order to re-stimulate the thoughts so that it can feed off of the emotions that those thoughts cause you. Wow. Causing it to become bigger and bigger and more powerful. Right, right. And so a lot of thoughts that we have are thoughts that are residual thoughts that we've been kind of cultivating unconsciously. 
Uh, we could think of them as beings who are, you know, wanting to be fed by this mechanism of thought and feeling. Mm-hmm. But what it comes, what it becomes is, uh, if it's a bad thought, it becomes like a psychosis or a neurosis. Right. It becomes this all-encompassing idea. You know, hmm. if we think, oh, I can't do something, and we're feeling bad, and then the next day, here comes that notion, that thought, oh, I can't. You know, it's really that being reapproaching us, you know, re- re-stimulating us. Right. Unless, you know, we re-stimulate it on our own and, and voluntarily, you know, feed the being. And then he becomes a little bit bigger. And just like a thought becomes more sure and grounded in us. So it's actually a being. Wow. Who's standing around us. So yeah, the idea is if you want to get rid of those negative beings, then you take your attention off of them and put it on the ideas that you want. And in that way, you starve it, and the being dies. It perishes. Wow. It sk- wow. skedaddles. So there That's is a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of a practical visualization for absolutely. You know, escorting your thoughts around and yeah, you know, managing your inner thought life. Absolutely. Can I share one that that I use? Um, the the Sufi mystic Hafiz um, in one of his poems, he talks about the thoughts and the thoughts that we give energy to and. That he talks about the negative thoughts um, as as being intruders that are coming into your mind on ladders, that mm. they're climbing into your mind on these ladders, and he he talks about pushing the ladders away, mm. recognizing the negative ones and and pushing them away as they're coming in, and so that's been a practice of mine for a while is to to start to recognize those, and before they even get a chance to get there, as soon as they're climbing in on these ladders, as Hafiz said. Just push the ladders away. So I find that as being very similar to um, to the Steiner stuff you were just talking about. I yeah. love it. Yeah. How early in your spiritual uh, walk do you think it was, or how late in your spiritual walk was it before you started to handle thoughts as significant? I think a lot of times in religion we think thoughts are kind of secondary things, but there's what we know to do and what we should do, and yeah. thoughts have trivial worth. Man, they have been important to me for a very long time. I would say at least fifteen or twenty years. And, and you know, this goes back to uh, even when I was in a in a more closed-minded and fundamentalist viewpoint. You know, when I was kind of trapped in that for a while. Um, even then, I remember you know the Bible teaching, or Paul said. Um, take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was significant. I saw that as spiritual warfare, as it was termed in Mm -hmm. in the circles of that day, which is the idea that there are some thoughts that are going to come in that aren't necessarily even my thoughts, you know. So where where are these coming from and what's happening here? Are these, you know, quote-unquote demonic is maybe the way that I thought back then. I might think of it a little different now. But but, But I did give value to the idea that some thoughts are not worthy of attention and others are very worthy of that attention. So to me, that's been a, a spiritual battle for as long as spirituality has meant something to me at all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that for me too. I mean, yeah. you can't really have spirituality unless you're talking about thoughts. Absolutely. Being, you know, you know, the primary yeah, powerful yeah, yeah. battlefield Yeah. Uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. Uh, according to your faith, so be it unto you. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Yeah, there you go. More. Uh, Jesus said, "If if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already 
done committed. You've already committed the act. You know, there he is saying, you know, your your thoughts are way more powerful than a lot of people might think. Yeah, and that's an awesome point because uh, what Steiner talks about is that we see out manifested after we've done cross the threshold of life and death, uh, we see out manifested the good and the bad severely uh, manifested. So what little good you've done is shown in a glorious light, and we see spiritual goodness coming out of those things and even the the slightest negativities can are creating negative forces right it gets really bad especially when we're in a straight up rage absolutely of course so <laughs> i like to think about that yeah it's good stuff um uh our thoughts as food for angels now this is kind mm. of might be coming out of left field for people because they're thinking uh, angels don't eat, we're not food, and, <laughs> and even and even if you know somebody could eat a thought, you know, hmm. why has nobody told us that or our thoughts are being consumed by angels as food? And so, hmm. uh, actually, it, this is what's happening. So just like the plant world derives sustenance and nutrients out of the mineral world, and animals draw it out of the plant world. Yeah, humans draw out of the animal world, you know, for those people who eat animals, or if you just think about how we've, uh, well, I would put that second to how we've evolved out of, you know, our body, how we've evolved out of, you know, these lower forms. Mm -hmm. But there's somebody above us who's consuming us for a type of food. Interesting. And that these are angelic beings who eat our good thoughts. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, Steiner compares the, the value of, uh, you know, a plant and its purpose to be eaten for an animal and it discovering that its purpose really was to be consumed as being as significant uh, for, you know, it knowing its purpose as our thought life is to us knowing that our thoughts are designated as angelic food. Hmm. That's That's kind of out there, but... I'm going to sow that seed because we'll elaborate on that later as we stew on it. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the impersonal life. You spent this week uh, reading it. Uh, I've been over the book a few times. Uh, You're fresh on it right now. I want to hear some of the revelations and uh, the primary (laughs) takeaways because very powerful. It just pulled me in, and I couldn't stop. You know, I I went into um, to research a little bit of everything that you said we might talk about this week, and that one really pulled me in. First of all, um, I had heard of it before, but mostly because of Elvis's connections with it. You know, and, and I knew that he was completely um, obsessed with the book, and that it it meant so much to him that he bought suitcases full of them and gave them away to people on a regular basis and um it is said that a copy his personal copy of it was found with him when when they found him passed away mm. um and so um i went to my dad this week and asked him what he knows about it my my dad is a bit of an elvis expert uh for those who don't know he's um he's worked with graceland for many years and um and so he's a bit of an elvis historian and and um so I, I just went to him and asked him, he said, oh, yeah, of course. Of course I'm familiar with that book. And I said, have you read it? And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to. I, I just feel intrigued by it. And, and I did. And, it, and, and those who are watching, you can see that's a, 
it's a short read. It's a quick read, um, but it's deep and it's beautiful. Um, and and I was pulled in for a lot of reasons. I, I started to do a little bit of research on on a little bit of everything, like I said. But um, when I got to the impersonal life, right off the bat, I found an audio clip of Wayne Dyer, who's been a big influence on me for a few years now, um, talking about the impersonal life and how much it has meant to him and his spiritual journey. And the instant he started talking about it, I was just like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of significance to this book, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But one of the things he said, this was a big epiphany for me this week. <laughs> um, he was talking about the fact that it's 18 chapters. And he said, um, he said the Bhagavad Gita is also 18 chapters. And he said, and that was one of the more influential books um, for him and his spiritual journey. And then also, probably the most influential book for him for his spiritual journey was the Tao Te Ching, which is 81 chapters, so it's 8 and 1 reversed mm-hmm. again. And he said, so 18, 18, and 81. And then he started talking a little bit about numerology and about how... What's that now? Adding to 9. Yes, exactly. Yeah. How it adds to 9 and, 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 and a few other thoughts about it, that 1 is manifestation, you know, 0 being the the creative energy in space where creation begins, and one is the manifestation of that, so the beginning, in essence, and eight being the symbol of infinity. And so you have the journey from the beginning to infinity, which is the one and eight, and then, of course, adding up to nine and, and all of these things. And I just, I was like, wow, this is really, really intense, cool stuff. And that night that I heard that, I, I went to bed just kind of meditating on it and chewing on it, and I just couldn't sleep. And as a musician, something profound kind of hit me. I was like, wow, you know, all of music, the way that we understand it in the Western world, our our major scale um, and the way that we communicate with each other when we play a song is based on a number system that that is essentially one to eight. And after eight, it all starts over again. So if you think of a major scale, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and eight is the same as one. Eight is one. So that's an octave. Um, and so, interestingly to me, I was like, this is, this is pretty cool because you have the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning, and infinity. Not the end, but infinity because it just keeps going on. So just like a major scale, once you get to eight, it just starts over again, and eight becomes one. Mm-hmm. So there you have infinity before you in music. You know, it's as if God built it into music to tell us, you know, this is what infinity looks like. The journey is from one to eight, and it just keeps going. You know, and I was like, my mind was just blown wide open. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one to eight equals nine, which in Pythagorean numerology is the end of a cycle, and that begins a new cycle. So, where you're talking about eight, eight and one come to nine. So, I mean, it's sort of the same thing in yeah. a different way. And so uh, we all live in nine-year cycles, according to numerology. <laughs> right. And every nine right. years, you know, we start to build up another uh, aspect of our path. Maybe we start a new project or we're starting to refine some part of ourselves. And as we get through the first year and the second year and the third year, each of these numbers corresponds with a different phase of development of whatever we're working on. Um, and so by the time we get to the seventh year, where there's a lot of contemplation and intellectual, you know, settling. And then the eighth year is usually when people see like a a financial sort of, uh, you know, payout or, you know, bankruptcy or whatever, you know, depending on the effort that they put in in the prior years. And then nine, that ninth year is the wrapping up of that cycle. And then one, you're going to start a whole new theme. 
for the next nine years. So cool. Yeah. Numerology is amazing. Oh, it's just mind boggling. And, and I'm not very familiar with numerology, but I am familiar with music. And it's funny how they're, they're saying the same things, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just interesting to tap into that, you know, and it's, um, that was a really mind boggling experience for me to just be opened up to that idea. And then, um, to really deeply meditate on and contemplate this idea of what the significance of these numbers mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, I mean, these, these books, it's interesting too that the Bhagavad Gita is very similar in a lot of ways to the impersonal life. Mm. One, one is thought of more as an Eastern philosophy and another is presented in a, in a very Western way, as we would say, you know, the impersonal life is um, more to the Western mind's understanding. The intellect more than... Right, yeah. right. But the journey is very similar. If you if you were to actually just compare the two, the idea that in in the Bhagavad Gita you have Krishna communicating, you know, this connection with Arjuna. Yes, exactly. And 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 Arjuna coming to understand the oneness with Krishna. You know, and mm. and, and and the same thing is happening here in the impersonal life. We're we're so, we are to come to see that um, it is the Christ inside of us that's always been there that is bringing us back. If we believe in this idea of separateness uh, from God, from the Christ, well, then this is the invitation back to home, you mm. know, to, um, to infinity, yeah. <laughs> that journey back. That's awesome. So, yes. yeah. Beautiful. You know, it, and that touches right back to what Ellie Tom Elamine was talking about last week. A week and and really it's a you know predominant theme in all religious writings and that is that idea of unity of a singular consciousness yeah. a non-duality and right. in those moments where maybe we've seen a, a glimmer of non-duality in our lives we've you know realized you know the spiritual mind in that state of like complete well-being and you know mm. pan-determinism and um you know just having no lack or no separateness and so there goes your fear and your worry and all of that and it's a very specific state of mind Mm, that's cool i I would want to to say to that idea the this whole idea of separateness um the last full album that that christy and i made is as three-day flight is called separate same i don't know if you know that or not but that's what the, the the theme of the album is. Was that was um, mm. essentially when I was writing all of those songs. That was the point in my spiritual journey where I was really um, sort of wrestling with those ideas. This idea of separateness, but the fact that we're all interconnected and all the same. And I, and I wrote a song called Yes and No. So I would invite our listeners to take a listen to that and just that that song mostly captures that idea. There are other songs on that album um, that are about the idea, but Yes and No is really just me diving into this idea of the fact that we see ourselves as separate yet we're the same yeah yeah that's amazing yeah that's a that's a big one because you know a lot of people are suffering because they're thinking that they're different from other people people think and this is a a a point that i really want to bring up real quick is when we think that we're different or we say we say some lie it's kind of a lie i think that everybody's everybody's different. Everybody feels different. And in some way that's true, you know, cause we're yeah. prompted and we're stirred by different things and other people are unmoved by the same things. But at the same time, you know, the Bible tells us the golden rule is do unto others as you'd have them do unto you for a reason. Right. Because, you know, we all might have different configurations if we're thinking in terms of a computer mm-hmm. an operating system, but we all have the same hardware. We're all basically in this 
epoch or age run the same operating system you mm. know depending on your location you know in the world right uh so you know we all know that to be cut hurts to be you know slighted hurts you know yeah, yeah. uh to be em- embraced in times of uncertainty is warming and calming yeah so you know and then when i look at things like whether it's marketing whether it's um things that have mass appeal like if you're on social media and you see something that gets like a ton of likes my takeaway from that is this is resonating with the populace at large hmm. this is something that is inside of you know everybody it's resonating with everybody because it's in everybody yeah and if we were really aware of that you know we might be able to collect you know the humanity's greatest hits and you know we could put together <laughs> you know the puzzle that of things that just everybody likes yeah you know, objectively across the board right what well, one thing that hit me when you were saying all of that is is um again returning to the bible because that's where a lot of my um my original study and thinking comes from and returns to often um one of my favorite things that Jesus ever said is love your enemies, you know, and it, it was a mind shattering idea for, you know, um, the man who is known as the Christ who embodied the Christ, the Messiah to say, love your enemies, you know, and, and this idea is like, why, why would he say that? You know, because that, that was extremely revolutionary, especially at his time, you know, but I mean, people still struggle with this idea of loving yeah. and well, they, they're the same. They are you. They're your brothers and sisters. However you want to envision that or whatever stage you're at, you can at least see these people, even your enemies are your brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. you know. So it's, um, you know, and, and Paul said our not, our battle is not against flesh and blood, you know, back to that idea of what we call in, in, in that circle spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. the idea that um, we've got to give up this fight with other people, mm-hmm. you know, that this is, uh, these are our brothers and sisters and We've got to come back to this idea of unity, of oneness. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that comes to mind as you say that also is that, you know, the scriptures tell us, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Yeah. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Absolutely. Jesus gives you, you know, he breaks it all down. Like last time we we're talking about Ho'oponopono and I love you. Uh, please forgive me. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I love you. Please forgive me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this whole, and then we think about what Jesus said: the law and the prophets. That means both sides of your Bible. Yeah, that means everything yeah. you've ever learned, no matter how many years of education you've had, they all can be summarized and brought down to this one thing: love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's simple. And yeah. any sim- simpleton can learn that one thing. So, in that sense, we're without excuse because if you accomplish that one thing, I mean, all the deeper wisdom, you know, follows that. Absolutely, the uh, lowest. She's our producer here. Do you have any thoughts on the subject? Oh, I'm catching her off guard because she's sitting there thinking. But I know she's been engaged. Up I do have a question. When you were talking about the me, myself, and I, that mm-hmm. kind of sparked my interest. Like, how do you define your I? What makes you I? What makes me me and myself? Those are great questions. So I, I think the easiest way to start would be to address the I, the so-called capital I, when you say I. So in esoteric teachings, the I is that drop of God. It's the spark of God. It's this light that is the inmost in a person, and that's immediately surrounded by an ego identity. 
So when mm. we talk about an ego, think of a cloud maybe, the very core of that is a spark of light. And that actually is one with God. It comes from God. It's destined to return to God. And it is. it has pretty much two capacities, and that is to see and to hear. The faculties of speech and movement and all these other things, this will and all of this, these are uh, aspects of the soul that mm. that I uh, goes into. So the I in the soul or the astral body then is able to navigate the soul with its will uh, by way of its attention. So it puts its attention, this I core, onto different thoughts and it moves deeper into different paths, which unfurl and open up a future for itself, which is how it decides to pursue this or that. And then we have uh, the idea of a soul. And this is a body of desires. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we might, we might call that the myself. Uh, that being that suffers, if it feels slighted, if it doesn't get what it wants, um, and then below that, and we'll talk more about that, and below that we have our physical body and the ethereal body, and mm. that's obviously our physical body, what we see, and then it's shaped by the ethereal body and its memory. So we may say that that's me, and then myself is my astral uh, thought life, my desire world, where I experience the sensations that I get through the body and that I process and that I navigate around with the eye so Mm. i know it's kind of confusing but we're thinking three components of who we really are the interior space that we're working in and then the exterior body that is in one sense uh impinging itself onto the soul so sometimes we think oh we're inhabiting the body and another school of thought which i'm not going to name names because they are a litigious branch of religious teaching uh (laughs) is the (laughs) body is actually impinging itself into the soul and so hmm. it's kind of a thorn in the side of the soul. Um, and along them lines, something else just occurred to me, and it has to do with death, and, uh, and that when we uh, die, one of the things we're not afraid of, uh, what we're actually afraid of, is not so much going into the unknown, but it's leaving the familiar. Hmm. Yeah. Have you heard that angle? I have. I've yeah. heard it like in a different sense of what you're saying. Like you're scared to die, but you know what's going to come, but you don't know what's going to happen after or how right. you're going to get to that Just the point. Fear of the unknown. Yeah. 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 That was good. Oh, man. I got uh, a great standard quote about that. Um, I have another question. Yeah, so, like, I know we're just meeting each other. So, when you see a person, what, when you pertain to the I, me, and myself, what stands out to you of that person? Does it the I that stands out or the me or the myself or does the me come after the I? <laughs> that's a good question. Man, that's a great question. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and, and so this is, this is what I would say about that is there's a few components to that. On the external level, what we see surface level of a person, their facial features, for instance, right. you know, mm-hmm. appearance, whether or not they have a you know, disability or whether or not they're glowing, radiant, and youthful yeah. or what. These are characteristics of the internal world. So in Chinese mm. face reading, for instance, we're, we're shown how we can see aspects of the soul in the physical body. So if somebody has a big forehead, for instance, which you got a good size forehead. I do. With, that means <laughs> that you're a big picture person. Mm. And somebody with a shorter forehead, which means their hairline comes down closer to their eyebrows, these kind of people tend to stay 
in the details. So, you know, they don't want to think too big. They like to think in the particular instances that they're in. Hmm. Um, and so culturally and, you know, these other aspects of our physicality, they are symptoms of our spiritual development where we are in this incarnation. Mm. When we think of people like what we we're just saying, do unto others and all of this, I mean, that is the common denominator. That's the I that is in everybody. Right, right. That's the I that loves unconditionally, that is loved by God, that is a piece of God, but it's so obscured. And each person will see variations of that mm. uh, uh, obscuring, well, because different kinds of thoughts, desires, traumas, you know, wants and preferences and, you know, yeah. uh, levels of selfishness or selflessness. And so that will affect how uh, clear we see into the person's soul. Mm. And so we have to know that the person has that behind anything they may say, yeah. however ugly or even, you know, you know, however, whatever, that these are just coverings and veils. And it's like Solomon says, you know, all of life is vanity. You know, right, all right. Of this I can see that. And yeah. so I haven't yeah. heard that one before. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's that's my thought on that. Now, I'm going to go back to what I was just talking about, if I can get it to load up here, of a quote from Steiner. And it regards death. And mm. I think it, it was pretty powerful. So he says, and this is from uh, Rudolf Steiner, The Moment of Death and the Period Thereafter. And it's part of a lecture that he gave in February 22nd, 1916. And it says, here on Earth, death has a terrifying aspect only because we look upon it as a kind of dissolution, as an end. But when we look back upon the moment of death from the other side, from the spiritual side, then the death continually appears to us as a victory of the spirit, as the spirit that is extricating mm. itself from the, spirit, uh, from the physical. It then appears as the greatest, most beautiful and significant moment. Moreover, this experience kindles that which constitutes our ego consciousness after death. Throughout the time between death and a new birth, we have an ego consciousness that not only resembles, but far exceeds that which we have during the physical life. We would not have this ego consciousness if we could not look back incessantly, if we could not always see, but from the other side, from the spiritual side, that moment in which our spiritual part extricated itself from the physical. We know that we are an ego only because we know that we have died, that our spiritual has freed itself from our physical part. We, uh, uh, when we cannot contemplate the, phys uh, the moment of death beyond the portal of death, uh, I'm going to reread that because this is where the whole thing gets its significance. When we cannot contemplate the moment of death beyond the portal of death, then our ego consciousness after death is in the same case as our physical ego consciousness here upon the earth when we are asleep. Just as we know nothing of the physical ego consciousness when we are asleep, so we know nothing concerning ourselves after death if, now here's the point, we do not constantly have before us in the moment, uh, before us, the moment of death. It stands before us as mm. one of the most beautiful and loftiest moments. So what it's saying that is if you're not contemplating your death as a glorious moment where you're basically going to burn up like a phoenix and rise up yeah. whatever seed you've been cultivating, if you're not looking forward to that moment, then when you actually die, your so-called ego consciousness, it basically blacks out. 
and wow. and you don't you know really retain consciously your experience of life between uh, death and a rebirth. So interesting. It, so it's very important that we not only contemplate uh, death, but that we come to look forward to it. That we're kind of cultivating and readying ourselves for it. Wow. And we'll <laughs> think about you know the mystics and the you know in the people who would keep like skulls on their desks. Maybe you've seen the, Oh, they got a skull They're you know, alchemist or what. And those skulls were there to help remind them of their mortality. Wow. So they could contemplate their inevitable death and act accordingly because they're going to come into a world of either like regret or they're going to come into a world of hallelujah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's come to fruition. And I am so glad that I made the, the choices and the sacrifices I did on earth when I did. Wow. Mm. It's so interesting because so many people would perceive that as, um, as what they would call um, morbid. You know, they would yeah. say, why, why would you keep a skull on your desk? That's yeah, right. so morbid. Or why would you focus so much on death? This is, mm. this is morbidity. This is, why, why do you do that? You know, mm. but Steiner gives us a... Uh, a beautiful outlook at it, you know. It's like, yeah, look forward to your death. This is a, this is a moment of liberation in a, in a sense, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that was probably one of the biggest things I had to get over growing up. Is I had a constant fear of death. I would mm. go to school and I'd sit there in my class and I just remember imagining the people I love finding out that they had died or something horrible, and I'm just like terrorizing myself with these thoughts. Yeah. And then eventually I started to, you know, come to like befriend the concept of death and really understand, like come to terms with this, you know, reality. And once that fear started to get rationalized away, once it started to embrace the truths and I started, then that became something that, you know, I could learn to accept. I think it's in the Bhagavad Gita or it's in one of the Hindu texts that talks about how a wise man does not mourn for those who have mm. passed. Right. He doesn't feel bad that because somebody has passed. Steiner talks about that, you know. Yeah. It's like yeah. nothing will change for you if you've cultivated yourself, if you've crossed the threshold of death and, you know, attained clairvoyance and initiation in this life. The only thing that's going to change is for the people around you who don't see you and imagine maybe you're lost or, you know, feel yeah. pity for you. But you're better off than ever before. Yeah. I want to add one thing to that if I could. Um, Again, back to the Bible, one of the most reiterated commands in the entire Bible, and a lot of people don't give this attention, but one of the most reiterated commands in the entire Bible is fear not. Mm -hmm. Do not be afraid. Yeah. You know, over and over and over again. You see it, and it's particularly encounters with angels. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of times that's, you know, I think people think they would freak out if they had an encounter with an angel. Oh, you know, and, and, the, and the angel says, fear not, do not mm. be afraid, you know, but Jesus said it over and over again as well. And it, it's reiterated through the Bible literally thousands of times, you know, do not be afraid. Yeah. And I think what goes hand in hand with that idea is people think, well, fear, if fear was uh, optional, nobody would be fearful. Well, the Bible says, uh, a couple things. And one of them, it says, is there is no fear in love. Because exactly. fear has to do with punishment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Exactly. And basically what that's saying is, our sins have separated us from God. Mm. The guilt that we feel because of our sins have created the knowledge that we need to be punished, disciplined. And, and then therefore we're afraid. Yeah. Because we know that what's coming for us you know, we deserve what's coming for us. 
and yeah. there's stuff coming for us. So the more that we purify ourselves and we and we let go of, you know, the sin nature, uh, the more at peace we can be when we're in otherwise scary situations like, you know, interdimensional beings approaching us, even though they have a mantle of loving peace around them. Of course. Yeah. It's our own fear. It's like we see people who are guilty of a crime and they just act all erratic and everything. Yeah. You know, and they self-sabotage and they're all weird and you're like, what's going on in them? Yeah. Because the conscience, it's... you know, is impeding their ability to feel peace exactly that's deep and amazing and beautiful stuff and i love that that goes back to you too i mean you you hit on that idea that it comes back to our idea of our separateness from god Mm. um you know this idea of our sin that has separated us from god and it goes all the way back to the story of adam and eve the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the introduction of duality you know the idea of of separating the good and the evil and seeing what's quote-unquote bad and what is quote unquote good and that we are bad and that we have this sin and all these things and again it all holds hands with what all of these spiritualities have been teaching all along you know because a lot of times we think in in, in again what we call the western mindset that um, we, we don't wrestle with duality as much but it, it's right there even in in the the scripture that most westerners hold which is the bible it's right there at the beginning you know that when when quote-unquote sin is introduced to the world, it's through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And again, that that's talked about a lot in the impersonal life as well. That's a so, good point. That's yeah. a, definitely a loaded topic. The tree yeah. of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. You know, what did the knowledge, you know, do to us? You know, our, you know, ignorance is bliss, you know, they say. Right. And all of a sudden now you know these things and you start to condemn yourself. You start to, you yeah. know, have crazy thoughts and Mm -hmm. so we need to get from the place of being innocent to knowing what is sin you know to even you know reaching rock bottom and then building ourselves back up to innocence in spite and in light of what we know about the sin world so we need to come back to that unity consciousness again yeah it's beautiful the (laughs) impersonal life uh talks uh about this you know very famous uh biblical alliance be still and know I am God. So who is I am and uh, what does being still have to do with that? We kind of broached that earlier. Mm-hmm. You want to? Oh, yeah. It, it, it to me is pretty much the, the pivotal point of the entire book. And it's introduced right from the beginning and he returns to it throughout. Is the idea that um, as you, you work through the book that we call the impersonal life that that part of what you're doing is you're meditating on the idea that of course comes again from scripture but you're meditating on it and trying to get a deeper understanding and he talks about putting the emphasis on the different words in different ways as you meditate on it you know be still and in in your still stillness no emphasis on no you know don't just believe it don't just think it but no i am God and and here you have all these emphasis again, you know, yeah. as you as you meditate on on it each time, exactly. keep your your thought focus on what you're emphasizing. Yeah, yeah. If every time you read that sentence, you emphasize a different word, you know, be or still or no or I am or God, uh, another angle will come out of that, and it goes back to what Dolores was talking about with who is or what is the I, and since mm. that I is essentially the son of God, S-U-N, S-O-N. Right. Okay. Uh, we know that that is 
of God. And mm. just like Jesus said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And yeah. so that's why they seem to be synonymous. So on one hand, we say, well, Jesus uh, wasn't God, but God was in him, which made him de facto because they were one. Right. Jesus said, you know, like, I'm not good. So many try to say, oh, you're a good master. So like, no, you know, only God the Father in heaven is good. Yeah. So he's rebuking this idea that he himself is the divine element as being recognized by the people. But in fact, it's that spiritual core that is inside of us that is not of us, that is not our own, but it is mm. the Father's. So in that way, uh, being still really settles the dust so that we can see between here and heaven. Right. That we can allow his message to come through undistorted. Yeah. Yeah, and we come. We do know that, and so that's another way we can emphasize it is we're still yes. And now you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Now you know I'm God. Oh, okay. Now I know. I'm still now. I know. And that reminds me of the analogy you used either last week or the first week. You talked about the analogy of the water, you know, mm-hmm. becoming still like the reflection oh, of the water. Oh, I remember yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was a, a good, a really one. beautiful. And, and I thought about as I meditated on this this week. I thought about that analogy again about the water. You know that. You've got to become still mm-hmm. in order to see clearly. Yeah. Yeah, and that definitely takes a, a concerted effort. And uh, what I've found is some of the breakthroughs that I've had in that way have come through a concerted effort. One story I was going to tell is uh, when I finally did this plant meditation that Steiner refers to in his mm. book, How to Know Higher Worlds. And I'd listen to this book over and over and over, and he got to this place that said, if you're not having these kinds of experiences, it's because you're not doing the meditations. And I said, oh, you got me, Steiner, because I've been intellectualizing and feeding myself, thinking I'm just going to cognate on it. But you got to actually forget it all, spend time forgetting it all and Hmm. just being present, you know, boiling it down. And so I went back to my office because I was on a lunch break at my job, and I had a plant on my desk. And I said, I'm not going to get up from my desk until I achieve the phenomena, this next phenomenon I'm supposed to attain. I said, I'm not going to go home at five o'clock when it's time. I'm not going to eat dinner tonight. I'm not coming in the morning because I'm going to sit here all night. Wow. Fixated. (laughs) Wow. Five minutes later, after stopping my thoughts, after concentrating on some other aspects of, you know, ambient moonlight and, Uh, thinking from the perspective of the plant, which is kind of an objectivity, a selfless objectivity, everything started to change. And, you know, we'll be able to talk about that more at another time because, you know, we're getting to the end of the show. But uh, at that point and some of the other things that happened that night, they opened up a sense perception to view clairvoyantly into a spiritual realm, Hmm. which I can now see anytime I come into rest and relaxation yeah forms you know uh some will refer to them as chimeras or specters or you know ghosts or apparitions or phantoms or you know different kinds of forms of what but these are they're they're living beings whether they're thought forms or Mm -hmm. whether they're astral unembodied disembodied beings or what Mm -hmm. they are perceptible by anyone who can bring their thoughts to a certain level of stillness and kind of have this little breakthrough kind of have that holy instant moment and it kind of opens up other things and that doesn't necessarily make you a a full-time initiate but it definitely gives you a peek into this other world sure and and by that way a kind of a path to keep reapproaching it 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that you say it's something you carry with you at that point, which is exactly, again, what the impersonal life talks about, that once you've had a shift in consciousness, it becomes a, a part of your vision. That That is a permanent shift in consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, even as you go and you do what you do, this has become a part of who you are and the way that you see things and, and your perception of reality. Yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, it's probably the biggest thing that, uh, turn me on to Steiner because I was looking to have the subject of the kingdom of heaven treated as a spiritual reality and not merely as a fairy tale, fantasy, futuristic. Even though churches don't treat it that way, it is de facto treated like something that is far out there, like we're talking Ab- about. Absolutely. And yeah. not right here, right now, yeah. accessible to anybody who'll do the things that the scriptures tell us to do. Right. And, right. you know, and the ideas and even the conclusions that I've come to through these experiences, you know, you could scarcely walk them into a church without being, you know, thrown out as a, as a heretic or, or having Absolutely. some kind of entity. But it's like, where is the spiritual life of the Absolutely. believer if not in experience? Correct. Again, that brings us back to day one, the very first thing we talked about. I mean, Jesus himself was talking about the kingdom of heaven as if this is a present thing. This wasn't a pie in the sky someday, you know, good little boys and girls get to go to heaven. He was saying, right here, right now, now, you know, again, yeah. that, we're back to now. We're back to the to the holy instant. Or what, what, what was it again, the instant? Um, the holy instant. The, yeah, the holy instant. Yeah, we're, we're back to that again, the now. Jesus always talked about the kingdom of heaven in the present tense. Yeah. Yeah. And experience I think, it now. <laughs> I, you know what I think it is? I think we're afraid to talk about this like this because it almost feels incumbent on the person bringing it up uh, to have, you know, be the pioneer. Okay, well, if you're going to say that it's it's happening right now, are you yourself in the kingdom of heaven? Well, having had many interdimensional experiences, yeah. that's enough to cue me in. On, I'm on the right track, you know, experientially digging deeper and expanding things but the problem is even if we haven't we can't keep this out of the churches we can't keep the d- discussion stifled right you know this is keeping people who would aspire even if as a pastor or something somebody hasn't attained whatever spiritual level they certainly shouldn't put a damper on other people's experiences and their spiritual walk absolutely you know there's a lot to be said for okay protecting them from illusions of the devil and things like that but mm-hmm. at the same time we need to uh Remember, we're here to cultivate a spiritual cognition. Right. You know, not just to wait for it with their sitting on our hands. Exactly. All right. Well, enough of that because we'll come back to it next week. Um, We're getting ready to wrap up the show. Uh, Next week, we're going to be discussing uh, all new topics, including maybe some of what we've been talking about today. But we'll be talking about the mystery of Golgotha, uh, which if you don't know, that's the name Mm. of the hill that... Uh, Jesus was crucified on and the significance of his blood flowing and hitting the earth and what happened in that moment that changed and split history. And uh, and we'll discuss uh, ideas that individuals like uh, you that are listening right now are sending over to Robert at newprecept.com. Adam, what do you think about the mystery of Golgotha? I'm sure. Actually, Adam, I want you to save that thought because we're getting ready to get off the air. Yeah, yeah, we'll so, save it for next week. Yeah. It's going to be fun. So I just want to remind everybody to like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash spiritual realities. That's realities, plural. Uh, newprecept.com. You can go there and uh, sign up for the mailing list, uh, send any ideas to Robert at New Precept, and we're on 
Spotify, iTunes, and Facebook Live. Absolutely. Also, 3dayflight.com, imaginevegancafe.com. Good food. Check us out. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Serving Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas. The latest news stories are here. This is KWAM Memphis.